This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I am your host, Brandy Stark. It is a gray and a rainy, rainy day here in Florida, but there is a little bit of sunshine because we are breaking our hiatus with Paranormal Pets, and we've got a new episode coming up. So, for this episode, we are going to take a look at saints and animals. How do the saints interact with animals? It's actually a pretty interesting phenomena, and in fact, I would count these as paranormal pets since the wild animals seem to be tamed by the saints and become lifelong companions. So, we will take a look at this right after these messages. When Helen Brown ran away to New York City five years ago, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut and enough catitude to light up the Empire State Building would be the one to teach her the true meaning of love and a forever home. In the tradition of her internationally best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, the amazing story of a rescue cat who inspired a community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor a homeless cat without much hope, and finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Modern Cat Magazine calls Bono an uplifting tale about how everyone deserves love and a second chance. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com To hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I am your host, Brandy Stark. I thought we'd take just a few minutes to catch up. So since uh, the last episode, I can't remember... <laughs> long it's been. I'm sorry to say I am working on it, but uh, the paranormal field has kind of dried up a bit. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm sorry to say I am actually seeing people start to leave it. I think it kind of got oversaturated, and unfortunately, we do not have the undeniable proof that people really look for. And believe it or not, if you actually study history, the same thing happened 100 years ago. So there's really no big shock, but uh, it's just been a little bit quieter. So, in December of 2017, I graduated with my third and final graduate degree. I now have degrees in history and classics as undergrads and graduate degrees in religious studies, humanities, and now liberal studies. Yay! It's a literature-based liberal studies. And I have a doctorate in leadership and education. So, probably my last degree. So, that was kind of sad, but I made it. And uh, so, here we are. Part of the reason that I started to look into saints is because I'm also doing my final study abroad over in Rome this summer. So I am a professor and for the past, let's see, since about 2011, so I guess the past seven years or so, we have been going over to Rome and Florence for 10 days where I actually teach world religion to students from this area who go with us. 
it's really cool because in that class, I have the best guest speaker. We go to see the Pope talk to the crowds, to the audience. So I'm like, yes, my guest speaker is Pope Francis. It's awesome. But uh, starting next year, they are heading over to Canada. And while Canada is a lovely country, and I greatly admire our neighbors to the north, after all, Canada is the home country of William Shatner, it's hard to leave the pets. It's gotten harder. So essentially, I'm just taking a, a break from study abroad. I will be stateside for a while, but that's okay because I want to check out places like Chattanooga, Tennessee, Asheville, there we go, North Carolina, maybe take a look around uh, statewide and get to know this area a bit more and you know see if there's some changes coming up. You just never know. So because we are preparing to go into the heart of Catholic country, I found a nice little book to refresh my memory on some of these saints. It is called The Book of Saints by Jenny Schrodel. This book is actually really neat. I was really super excited because they actually referenced one of our local miracles that I have not thought about in years. So many years ago in Clearwater, Florida, there was a rather unique phenomenon that happened. There was a building that was cutting down some vegetation and discovered what they thought was a giant two-story manifestation of Mary. So an image of Mary. I tend to be a little bit more skeptical on that one primarily because, unfortunately, it most likely was produced by well water on a film coated glass. And the vegetation they took down was a palm tree, which very easily could have kind of channeled the water into the shape of the head. But it was still a magnificent sight. This book actually did reference it. Sadly enough, part of the reason I haven't thought about it in a number of years is that this is kind of when you learn that humanity sucks. And uh, I think I would just rather spend time with my grumble of pugs at home. Because uh, you had folks that actually went up to the image and attempted to pour chemicals on it so that they would destroy it. The image actually recovered from that, which, you know, I got to give it some credit. That was pretty cool. But eventually some teenagers took a pellet gun and shot out the top pane of glass. And that is what destroyed the image. But until then, I mean, people held vigils there. The building ended up being bought by a Catholic group where they made rosaries inside. I mean, it just had a really positive vibe. But uh, once again, uh, local humanity messes up the good, you know? But from that extreme, this book talks about some of the best of humanity, and those are the saints. And the saints are truly fascinating people. We have to love them. You know, they're, they're supposed to represent the best of us. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that saints are kind of, uh, they can be curmudgeons. They can be very predictable. They can be highly irritable. Oftentimes they were persecuted and they died badly. Now, these guys, I'm happy to say, they seem to die pretty decently of old age primarily, but there were some of the saints that stood up as a social protest and were ultimately executed. And, you know, you have to... You don't have to agree with them, but you have to see that people who try to change the world and who are willing to die for that belief. I mean, that's that's fairly exceptional. And it's hard to do. It's harder than you think. So I find them to be rather fascinating individuals. And of course, they remind me a little bit of the mythologies of the ancient world. A lot of these stories are word of mouth. They were word of mouth and oral stories associated with local cultures that kept them alive. These were originally real people, but as the stories got told, kind of like our urban legends and our legends and lore, they became more and more mythological and symbolic in nature. So they're really fascinating, though, and I, I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I do. So we are going to start off with St. Cuthbert and the Otters. St. Cuthbert 
was born in 635. He became a monk and he actually served in both Lindisfarne Priory and Melrose Abbey. He traveled throughout the countryside, oftentimes going to very remote areas to preach. He loved to pray out in nature. Now, eventually, he ends up settling at the Abbey of Coldingham, which was, and I love this, you got to love these monks who live kind of these uh, very regular, regulated, out-of-the-norm lives, where they kind of segregate themselves away from the corruption of society. And so, this Abbey was actually on a seaside cliff. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I, I don't know. I live, you know, a few miles from the beach. I have no desire to live over it. But, you know, this is yeah, Middle Ages, early well, very early Middle Ages, right? Technically still the Dark Ages. So uh, Europe's Dark Ages hit from the fall of Rome to you get the Carolingian Renaissance. And then really you kind of start climbing out of this darkness, probably ninth, 10th centuries. So, you know, you've got quite a ways to go with this. Anyway, Cuthbert was very unusual. So he was a hard worker. I got to give this guy credit. He would stay with the monks all day. He would pray with them and work with them. And then he'd go to bed for a couple of hours. And once everybody was asleep, he would get up and he would disappear into the night. And one of the brothers discovered this and he was kind of suspicious. I mean, you know, Cuthbert was kind of a weird guy. And so one night he waits and he follows Cuthbert when he tries to sneak out of the abbey. And here is what he sees. So our beloved saint wades into the ocean up to like his chest. He would raise his arms above his head and he'd pray all night, literally all night. And then he would come up out of the ocean, dry off and go to morning prayers with the monks. I'm like, this guy was hardcore. And so this monk watched Cuthbert do this. And at the first light of dawn, Cuthbert walked out of the ocean, came back to the shore, and he knelt for more prayers. And while this monk was watching, Cuthbert, he discovered, was followed by two otters who panted on the saint's feet to dry them and then snuggled against his body to try and warm them with his fur. And Cuthbert completed his prayer. The otters stayed and they actually knelt before him in the sand. They stayed there until Cuthbert offered them his blessing. And then the otters went back into the sea. This poor monk is watching this and he's going, uh, okay. And he goes back to the monastic order and he gets there before Cuthbert. And uh, he kind of didn't know what to do. And the sight was so overwhelming that after the morning prayers, he sees Cuthbert and he actually falls to his, you know, his knees and begins to weep. And, and he, he tells the saint he's done something terrible. And the saint says, well, what is it? And the monk confesses to having followed him and everything that he saw. Cuthbert offered his forgiveness to this man on one condition, that he would never tell what he had seen until after the saint had died. And the monk agreed and kept the secret for all of Cuthbert's life. When the saint died in 687, so that was a pretty good life, uh, 52 years, the, uh, the Dark Ages, you, you had a loss of lifespan there. The monk actually told the story to anyone who would listen. So what was interesting is that after the saint died, a shrine was created on the holy island of Lindisfarne in England. In 875, fear of a Danish invasion threatened the monastic order, and the monks packed up Cuthbert's relics. They carried the relics with them for seven years until they were provided with a safe church to house them in, and his holy holiday is March 20th. So he's kind of an interesting guy, and oddly enough, he is not the only guy to encounter otters. So we'll take a look at that shortly. 
Our second saint, there we go, is Saint Kevin, who was born in Ireland in 489, also uh, kind of the collapse of Rome. If you're not familiar with the time period, I always love this because this is when the Irish get to save history because the collapse of Rome kind of took so long to get up to Ireland. It was actually the intellectual center for like 50 years. That's all Ireland got, but 50 years is 50 years, you know. So St. Kevin, uh, he was born in Ireland. His mother actually had no pregnancy pains, and that's always a sign of sainthood because, of course, God condemns Eve to have pangs of pain in childbirth. So that his mother had no pain was significant. And so his mother named him Kevin, which means of gentle birth. He loved animals, and they really became his companions in the wilderness of Glendalough. So one Lent... St. Kevin, and sorry, that just sounds, I know Kevin's, and I'm like, I'm not putting Saint in front of most of their names, but while St. Kevin was praying with his arms extended in the open window of his hut, a blackbird landed on his hands and actually built a nest. And according to the legend, the saint stood perfectly still for the bird, not only to build a nest, but to lay her eggs, to raise the baby birds, and to let the birds fly away. So St. Kevin prayed for all that time while these birds were doing this thing. He also was an otter guy. I mean, who knew that saints and otters were so close, right? So one cold winter night, he trudged out into the icy waters of a lake to recite his prayers. Just after he victoriously recited the Psalter, the saint accidentally dropped it into the lake. He stood there a moment feeling distressed and unsure of how to proceed. Just then, an otter surfaced clutching the undamaged Psalter in his mouth. Later, when the monks at Kevin's monastery were starving, the same Otter bought them salmon. Brought them salmon. If he bought it, that would be weird too. So one day when the otter appeared with the salmon, one of the monks had an evil thought. He imagined that the otter's pelt would make some lovely gloves. What did I just say about humans sucking, right? Fortunately for the otter, and I love this, the otter was telepathic. He could read the monk's mind and he never again returned. So they actually chased the monk off. St. Kevin severely rebuked the monk for his cruel and greedy thought. At another time, St. Kevin was praying in a hollowed-out tree trunk. He treasured his life of solitude and did not wish to be discovered. And while he was praying, oddly enough, his feet stuck out of the back of the tree trunk. And a cow would come up and actually lick his feet while he was praying. And the saint was so saintly that the cow who licked his feet produced more milk than any other cow on the farm. And the farmer noticed this and basically followed the cow to find out what in the world was going on and discovered St. Kevin inside of this tree with his feet sticking out as he prayed. Well, it turns out that the saint was very, very sick. And I mean, he just literally was praying his life away. The farmer basically insisted that Kevin come with him and he nursed the saint back to health. So the cow very likely saved the saint's life by leading the farmer back to the praying saint, who interestingly enough, part of the reason why he looked so bad is that he was eating nettles to stay alive. Mm, mm, mm. If you are not familiar, saints oftentimes had very odd diets and dietary restrictions like St. Jerome, the guy who is given credit for translating the Vulgate into a proper form of Latin grammar. He's not the first guy to translate it. I think he's the fourth. But the other guys were so bad at the grammatical adaption between Greek and Latin that nobody could read it. Well, Jerome had two female companions and they actually assisted him in translating the Bible into the appropriate Latin. And they were all just celibate friends, but apparently they actually had like this weird diet of eating grass. So, you know, just think about that for a little bit. 
Kevin, despite all of this, lived to be 120 years old. And his feast day is celebrated in Ireland on June 3rd and in America on July 3rd. Oh, that's just coming up in a couple weeks. All right. So what we're going to do at this point is you've heard a little bit about the saints. Let's pause for a few more commercial messages. And when we come back, we will talk about St. Seraphim of Serov. We'll do that right after these messages. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with super-absorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandy Stark. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. It is summer session. Uh, I'm actually teaching mostly online until the study abroad rolls around. Uh, and I myself am going to be interviewed this evening for the, for the paranormal. So hopefully my tongue works better for me in uh, the next two hours. But we are going to continue on with our discussion of the saints. And we are up to St. Seraphim of Serov, who was born in 1759 in Russia. You can't tell by that name. When he was nine years old, he became deathly ill, but he had a dream in which he saw the Virgin Mary, who promised to heal him. This dream came just before the famous icon of her was carried through the town, and but because of bad weather, the procession had to change course, and the icon came just past his childhood home. His mother laid him on the ground, and they carried the icon over him, and he recovered completely from his illness. St. Seraphim entered a monastery as a novitiate when he was 20 years old, and before he left, his mother blessed him with a large copper cross, which he wore all of his life. At one point while he was in the monastery, he again became seriously ill, and had a second vision of Mary, and she appeared with St. John. In this vision, she turned and said about Seraphim, he is of our kind, and she touched her side with her staff, and he was healed instantly. He made vows that when he was 27 years old, he took the name Seraphim, which means fiery or burning in Hebrew, and apparently it was really uh, reflective of his prayers. In 1794, he moved into the wilderness to live in a small log cabin where he was able to devote himself to prayer, and he studied the scriptures. He kept company with bears, wolves, foxes, and rabbits. One day, an abbess and a nun from a nearby um, monastery visited him. To their horror, this bear walks out of the woods on his hind legs. St. Seraphim looked at the bear and said, "Uh, Misha, you have frightened my poor orphans. Please bring them something for consolidation. As I have nothing to offer them, the bear left and came back. 
carrying a small parcel wrapped in leaves. Misha, what have you brought us? The saint asked. The bear stood on his hind legs, handed him the leaves, and inside was a fresh honeycomb. Seraphim handed the bear a chunk of bread, and the bear lowered his great head as if to bow, and then gracelessly exited the cabin. Wonderful story on the saint, not so good for the bear. Uh. St. Seraphim lived for many years in his cabin, eating and sleeping very little, and during the last years of his life, visitors began to flock to his cabin to glean wisdom from him. As he aged, he became very exhausted, and he actually went out to a spot on January 1st, 1833. He declared this is where he was going to be buried. That evening, he sang his Easter hymns, and the next morning, he was found dead. He is commemorated on August 1st and January 15th, and his feast day is January 2nd. So we have time for one more, and this is a short one. St. Roche and the Dog. The saint was born in 1295 in France. So if you're French, stop making fun of my French, okay? According to one legend, he was born with a red cross on his chest, a birthmark. He had noble blood, which is awesome, and his parents died when he was 20. And at this time, he gave his inheritance to the poor and went on pilgrimage. During the pilgrimage, he encountered so many people who had been stricken by the plague that his heart broke for them. Now, remember, the plague hits uh, Europe in 1347, 48. So there's a little bit of a stretch here if he's born in 1295. And as a young man at 20, he gives away his, his items. So I guess he was on pilgrimage for quite some time. Anyway, eventually he contracted the plague, which is really bad. He didn't want to share the infection, so he went into the woods to die. While he was in the woods, a dog discovered him. This dog visited him many times, bringing with him food from his master's table, as well as gingerly licking the saint's wounds. One day, the dog returned with his master, who, upon seeing the saint in such desperate state, carried him home and nursed him to health. By that time, St. Roche had again become healthy. A civil war shook France. So the saint attempted to return to his home, and the dog followed. But he was captured and wrongly declared a spy. He was actually imprisoned, where he could have really declared himself of noble blood and gotten out of prison, but he never did. He actually, he ended up dying in prison. He died in 1327 of natural causes. Even actually, what's interesting is the dog went to prison with him and he actually prayed for his fellow prisoners while he was incarcerated. So he dies in 1327. He is commemorated on August 16th and is considered the patron saint of dogs and those who love them, as well as invalids and those suffering from knee injuries and pestilence. After St. Roach's death, numerous healings were connected to him and many people believe that he is a healer of those who are suffering from infectious diseases. He was canonized 100 years after his death in 1427. So with that, hopefully I'm giving you some inspiration. I know that uh, St. Roche is a saint that I want to keep in mind, even though pugs technically are not dogs. Pugs are pugs. Although I'm not sure what would happen if I took them to a church. Uh, They might burst into flames because Lord knows they can be very naughty little imps when they want to be. But we will actually have one more episode on the paranormal and saints. And I think I actually have a contribution from a person who gave me one of their paranormal animal encounters which will add on to the the next episode so stay tuned for saints and animals part two until then please remember to support your local rescues be well be happy and happy haunting pet life radio presents paranormal pets where you can always expect the unexpected 
Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.